Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. It is session number 153 tonight uh, as we continue our discussion of Council of Elrond, of course. Uh, this is, I think, session number 29 uh, on the Council of Elrond, which is doing pretty well, I think. Uh, that's, um, uh, we're. <laughs> We're making we're making great progress here. Um, okay, so I just wanted to make sure everybody can hear me. Okay, all right, good. I think folks can hear me. Okay, excellent. Sorry, I'm still. Um, this is my second broadcast on my new system, so I'm still like making sure, and I've got a whole new layout of where my windows are and everything. So uh, still. Uh, Trying to make sure that this uh, this 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 moves through. Um, okay, so good. All right, um, I don't have very many announcements uh, this week. Um, the t- a couple things I wanted to mention first is I wanted to draw your attention to Middlemoot coming up. Registration is open for Middlemoot. Uh, it's our first. Online regional moot, uh, which uh, is going to be happening in our new temporary online moot world. Um, and, uh, of course, middle moot is normally our Midwest uh, moot, uh, or at least I should say middle of the country moot, really, um, uh, since it's kind of Midwest and Great Plains uh, as well. Uh, this uh, year it, we were scheduled to be uh, hosted in Kansas City, uh, which is always fun. Had a great time in Kansas City two years ago, uh, and uh, sad that I won't be getting back to Kansas City. Actually, bitterly remorseful that I won't be going back to Kansas City, not only uh, for missing the chance to uh, see some wonderful people there, uh, but of course, <laughs> the barbecue. Uh, but anyway, uh, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll be back. Uh, sometime later on, but the moot is going to be great. Uh, the Heart of Hope, yes, I see that Druid's Fire just posted the uh, the link there. You can find the link at signumuniversity.org slash events, uh, and the registration is open for that, as I say. So uh, it's a one-day event, but there's um, it's going to be um, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So wanted to draw that to your attention. October 10th uh, is the uh, uh, is the date of that event. Um, another thing that I just wanted to... Oh, so uh, uh, paper abstracts. I think Aslan's Compass that the call for papers just closed, but I bet you if you send them uh, right away, if you send something right away, it might still be entertained. Um, uh, so yeah, I would, I would, but I would get right on that. I would not delay. Um, Okay, so the other announcement that I wanted to make is just a simple announcement uh, that uh, as of yesterday, Signum University just turned nine. Uh, Yesterday was our birthday celebration. Um, I don't celebrate the birthday of Signum based on the day of the month, like the number of the day. Uh, I always celebrate it on the first day of class in the fall semester. When we open classes for the fall semester uh, is when uh, I always celebrate uh, the anniversary because, of course, our very first class ever was in the fall of 2011. Uh, and uh, what a fun class that was. Uh, wonderful memories. Uh, and so anyway, we're, we've been going for nine years now, uh, which is really exciting. So 
I was uh, joking with people. To, well, I was joking, but it's true uh, that uh, Signum is now the longest running job I've ever had. Actually, I've now been uh, working at Signum and uh, uh, running Signum for longer than I've ever done anything uh, in my life. Uh, mostly because, of course, I, you know, didn't graduate, didn't finish school until I was almost 30. So I've had much time to work jobs for very long periods of time. Um, yeah, Gugan Theory, it is fun to remember back to, you know, when I was first announcing starting up Mythgard and Signum and everything. It's um, It's been... Uh, Pretty cool. Oh, cool. So, sorry, Aslan's Compass says that the abstracts can be submitted until September 15th. I was hoping that they would extend that. I think I thought they might. Uh, and it seems that they did, so that's very good. Um, yeah, anyway, so really, uh, really good stuff. Just thanks for all of you guys for being involved. I know some of you are directly involved in Signum, and some of you are sort of more peripherally involved. Uh, but always great to have your support for everything that we're doing uh, here at Signum University. Um, so anyway, um, yes, Mad Violinist, you're right. We are scheduled uh, to have uh, this class on Bilbo's birthday. Uh, we are three weeks away from uh, the birthday party, uh, and it, it, it would be fun. It would be fun to do... Uh, you know, a uh, a class of special magnificence uh, on that day. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what we can do. All right, let us jump in because we have a lot of Gollum to discuss tonight. Um, uh, but first, I wanted to touch on a topic that I think everybody would agree uh, we've really skimmed over uh, far too. Uh, uh, quickly uh, in our discussions of late that we really haven't talked about in a while, and that is the poetic rhythm of black speech. So let's go back to that important topic that we've been neglecting. No, I'm I'm joking, but I just wanted to draw your attention to uh, 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 Ashnag, who's uh, who's here tonight. Um, uh, made a, a wonderful long post on the uh, uh, on on the the the, the poem, and. I really wanted to recommend that, both that um, uh, that post and the discussion that followed. What I'm giving you here is an extraction of one paragraph, like one of the last paragraphs from a like a response post down the thread. It's it's kind of deeply buried, um, but this was you know just the bit I wanted to share with everybody uh, from that. His analysis was really, really good, um, uh, and I liked it a lot. But here's, here's the principle that I wanted to draw out. Um, he says, I think the key thing, though, is that Gandalf is the one translating these lines for us. And Gandalf, in order to translate, would have had choices to make on which elements of the, on which elements of the original to preserve and which to sacrifice. Tolkien, who spent his entire career translating poetry from medieval languages, would be the first to tell you that there are always trade-offs when translating poetry. Just read Christopher's commentary on his father's attempts to translate Beowulf. Now, I agree with this very strongly, and this, as you'll remember, is one of the things I was emphasizing at the time when we were looking at the black speech, especially the black speech side by side with the English. The thing that is so striking about that pair, uh, that, you know, that, that sort of pairing of verses, is how little trade-off there is comparatively, right? I mean, that for something... For any to for any poetic translation uh, to be as close 
in word for word translation and in representing the poetic rhythm. I, I, I literally do not know of another example. Now, again, you can say Tolkien's cheating because he's making up the language, right? Uh, and what's more, this is a language which, uh, for which this is, as, Ash, as Ashnag was, was saying, really not just the biggest, but the, the best. In some ways, really some of the only evidence that we get um, of, uh, of black speech syntax. Um, uh, so... So yeah, I mean it's it's uh, uh, it, you could say it's I don't know, it's not exactly special pleading, but it is certainly a special case. But still, uh, it is it is very striking. Um, so anyway, moving on with his comment here, he says it is much more likely that Gandalf would choose to preserve a general sense of the rhythm, but then be forced to alter it a little bit because of how differently the grammar is constructed, which we can see evidence for. Uh, here he was talking about where uh, his argument. Uh, earlier on was that the primary difference, like where the variation, that, that extra syllable, where the one syllable difference comes between the black speech and the English version isn't an extra syllable in the black speech, but a missing syllable in the English, right? That uh, it's because we don't have the two, right? Uh, one ring to rule them all and in the darkness to bind them, uh, technically, because they're both, it's, a, it's an infinitive phrase. Uh, there in the in that uh, uh, in that second line, second as it's represented there in the text. Um, so, and I I I can buy that. I can buy that. I mean that there is a variation is clear. Uh, that is you know that there is an extra syllable. That there are a different number of syllables. Let me say more neutrally between the two uh, seems uh, seems clear. Um, but uh, anyway, so the the original post was arguing basically that uh, the the black speech one should be the one that is taken as uh, sort of the the original, right? Um, which, by the way, I'm not assuming. I mean, it, it it makes sense, of course, in the context. But given the fact uh, that this is um, given the similarity between the two, and the fact that this is like the only example of. Um, fully syntactical black speech that we get, uh, I'm not assuming that it's necessarily something that was really, like, first primarily composed uh, in the black speech and then translated into English, like he might have done uh, with the Elvish. But anyhow, as I mentioned last week. But in any case, I am um, totally willing to accept, for argument's sake, that the black speech version is the one where it's all working correctly, right? Both the strictness of the syntax and uh, uh, the rhythm. I like Ashnag's argument because Ashnag's argument is, it enables us to, uh, uh, he makes an argument for retaining the cooler uh, pronunciation of Gimbatul and Krimpatul, um, which I like. Uh, and I agree that if you pronounce those that way, you don't get the same uh, the same blip in the line, the same uh, the same aberration in the rhythm, uh, and it works much much better. It it flows much more smoothly. Um, so uh, his reading here, right, is that the variation, right, the the the, the difference in the syllable there, is uh, an artifact of Gandalf's translation into English, essentially, right? I know technically Westron, but we're not getting it in Westron, we're getting it in English. Um, so, so basically, Gandalf has two choices, right? He can either uh, represent the rhythm 
Exactly. Right. He has the same choices as all poetic translators have. Right. You either get the content right or you, you either try to get the content right or you try to get the poetics right. You know, you try to, to, to imitate the poetics. Um, and, of course, sometimes, you know, a translator doesn't necessarily succeed in doing either one. Right. But um, uh, but like, w- where is your priority going to be is one of the, is, you know, the big choice that you always have to make um, all the time again and again when you're translating poetry. And so imagining Gandalf in that position, right, of how is he going to render the black speech into English? Which is he going to do? Is he going to try to represent to, to replicate the rhythm exactly the poetic structure and the feel of the lines or is he going to try to translate the sense, the words, uh, more? Um, so, and uh, Ashnag here is arguing for the first that he's the, for for the second that he's going to trans that he's translating the sense and giving a similar but not exactly the same version of the rhythm, right? Um, so yeah, so he says it's much more likely that Gandalf would choose to preserve a general sense of the rhythm, but then be forced to alter it a little bit because of how differently the grammar is constructed. The alter, the alternative was that Gandalf was striving to preserve the rhythm exactly, but then the missing syllable in the English actually corrects an unpleasant sounding deviation in the original. That seems to me to be less likely. Um, so I think that that's... Uh, that that's a really interesting reading. Uh, I th- I mean, I think I can go along with that. Um, if basically we say you know, that the thing that is so striking about the variation is that the variation by removing the one extra syllable, which again, there, as he points out with the infinitives, there's an excuse to put it in. It wouldn't fall in exactly the same place in the English version as it falls in the black speech version, right? But there's an excuse to do... Um, uh, to do something, to do an extra syllable there. Um, uh, and, of course, the excuse is because um, you um, uh, to, you could do the infinitive, right? You could do the extra two uh, in there. Um, and you could theoretically construct it, maybe, so that it could be exactly the same or almost exactly the same. Um, and instead, what Gandalf did is he made it work, he made it flow better in English, right, by removing that second two. It would sound weird with that. Um, and he but and he does maintain the rhythm, but it smooths the rhythm out, right? Um, one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them, that really perfect rhythm of that latter line. Um, so that Gandalf's poetic choice here would be to say, I'm going to that by saying it that way, right? One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them uh, clearly conveys the sense of the line. And it does so while maintaining the basic structure of the line, not every variation of the rhythm, but but it gives the feel of it. Um, uh you know, Ashnaz Thrakataluk Achbur Zormishi Krimpatul. If we do pronounce it that way, um, it's still, you know, one ring to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. It sounds still very similar. It, it does create a, um, uh, at the very least, similar, very closely similar feel uh, to that line. And that that would be enough that that would be enough uh, for Gandalf's poetic translation purposes here. Um, 
I can buy that. I can buy that. Um, I, uh, I still can't help but think that if he had decided to construct the suffix that makes the, um, uh, that makes the preposition in the burzmishi, right? If he had just decided to use a one-syllable suffix instead of a two-syllable suffix, it'd still be exactly the same. Um, and I, you know, I still think that's an option he could have gone for, and that he didn't still seems conspicuous to me. And even though Ashna's guy totally agree with you about your your argument about the line that the um about I'm totally willing to hear your argument that it's the English that's missing a syllable rather than that the black speech has an extra one. Yeah. I I hear that. Except again the English the metronomic uh sense of the English. Well again, but you could argue that the re- that the, the the that second line being so metronomic is in fact the argument for the for uh, in support of what Ashnaz is saying here, right? That uh, it shows that it's Gandalf doing an approximation, right? Um, that he's he's just doing a uh, it, it's a, it's it's a a much a much simpler rhythm that maintains the general flow, but it simplifies it, right? So yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, but, uh, I see JJ prefers to think that, uh, the extra syllables, what really clued the Smiths of Eregi into the fact that they had been betrayed, that it was a betrayal, not only of trust, but of poetry itself. <laughs> it is an attractive reading, JJ. I do kind of like that. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Mad Violinist, I don't think I am qualified to comment on the question of uh, um, whether or not the, uh, um, yeah, the, the, the conversion of the B to a P uh, from Gimbatul and Krimpatul, um, whether that tells us something about the roots or, uh, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't tell you that. I am, uh, I am not a good enough philologist to be able to answer that question. Uh, but I'd be happy to hear from that from uh, about that from someone else. Um, but um, anyway, Ashnaz, thank you so much. Not, not just for your comment here. Again, I've extracted only the smallest bit and then waved my hands vaguely at the rest of it. I commend it uh, to folks to go to our discussion boards and, uh, and read that. Uh, thanks for your, uh, uh, your contribution there. I thought that I thought your analysis was very, was very persuasive uh, all the way through. So um, uh, thanks for that. Okay, but now I promise I'm going to actually stop talking about Black Speech for a little bit, uh, and we're going to move forward um, after Gandalf makes his... So this is right after Gandalf has reached that rhetorical climax, right? That already he may know, even as we speak, that we have it here, right? All sat silent for a while, until at length Boromir spoke. He is a small thing, you say, this Gollum. Small, but great in mischief. What became of him? To what doom did you put him? Um, now, let's think for a second. Um, pausing 
on the slide there, because I want to think about Boromir's... Boromir's... topic change here, right? Why? Yeah, Lincoln says Boromir is just teeing up Elrond and Gandalf. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a nifty segue, which Boromir, of course, could not possibly have known he should make. Um, yeah, the, the non sequitur of this is interesting, right? This almost sounds like a, an attempt by Boromir to diffuse the tension of this particularly tense moment, right? I mean, everyone, Gandalf has just invited everyone in the room to imagine what is Sauron doing at this time? What is happening in the Barad-dur right now? Right now, Sauron may be thinking about us right here and the fact that we have his ring and are keeping it from him, right? So, I mean, this is the truly startling and un disquieting mental image that Gandalf has evoked and there's a pause while everybody thinks in uncomfortable ways about this right and then Boromir interrupts not interrupts but his response he breaks the silence and he breaks the silence not by addressing at all what Gandalf said or rather picking up on a thread of Gandalf's story, which Gandalf himself has long since abandoned. Well, not long since. It was only, I guess, a minute or two ago in real time. Um, but um, but still, I mean, he's moved past there. So what happened to Gollum anyway is uh, certainly not the next logical follow-up uh, here. Um, and, you know... Tony says this is Boromir's first non-rude interruption. Yeah, it is, I think. I mean, I am inclined... um, I am inclined here to um, take this as a piece of diplomacy on Boromir's part. Nobody wants to respond to that. Nobody knows what the next thing to say is after Gandalf has just dropped that uh, really alarming idea, right? Which clearly was designed to alarm, I think. I mean, he wants everybody not to be panicked, um, but he wants everybody to understand the seriousness of the situation, right? Gandalf is here setting up the major decision that they're going to have to be making, right? And he wants to make sure that that decision is properly contextualized uh, for everybody in the room. Um, So... In response to that, Boromir, after a pause, not immediately, right? He doesn't undermine the rhetorical effect, right? He doesn't, uh, he, I mean, if he had immediately jumped in with this, right? If Gandalf had no sooner finished talking, right? Um, uh, already he may know, even as we speak, that we have it here. And Boromir interrupts with like, yeah, whatever, but let's get back to Gollum, right? That would have totally spoiled the moment. He doesn't do that. Right. I agree, Gilgonthir. It does seem like somebody has to fill the awkward silence. Right. And what do you say? What does anybody say in response to that? Well, that's OK. <laughs> um, I, I, so what do we do? Like, I mean, you can respond in arrogance to that. You can respond in panic to that. Neither one of those is a good call. 
really, right? Um, so what Boromir does after a proper time, <laughs> here says, Bilbo says, well, time for lunch. That would be one response. Also not necessarily totally appropriate, but very understandable. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, so I, I this does it, it does really strike me as uh, diplomatic, which Tony I agree is interesting given that he's his interruptions especially, but we have seen him being um, diplomatic, uh, and we've said a lot about his diplomacy and his excellent rhetoric, but his interruptions when he has burst in to the conversation, his interruptions have not tended to be generally and specifically <laughs> diplomatic. He's generally been a little bit, at least a little bit rude, sometimes more than a little bit rude uh, in his interruptions. Um, so, um, okay. So, and it's not like it's a complete non sequitur, right, what he says. He is picking up on part of the story. The other thing that I do think is very interesting about it, and Tony, you were just bringing this up as well, um, Aragorn is going to respond to his question, right? Um, to what doom did you put him? It's not sh it's not clear who the you is there. Gandalf, perhaps? Gandalf is the one just speaking, right? So it sounds like he's responding uh, to Gandalf. The you could be plural, right? You and Aragorn, like you, 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 you were the Gollum hunting team, right? He brought him in and you interrogated him. You know, Aragorn brought him in and Gandalf interrogated him, so... To what doom did you two collectively put him? It could very well be. I don't know if, given that Gandalf had been just speaking of what he learned from Gollum, it seems to me unlikely that this is a question directed exclusively at Aragorn. Like, he's trying to get Aragorn personally to respond uh, to this to this question. Um, Aragorn does respond to him, but but I don't know that that's... The question I'm trying to answer here, is that a Boromir story or an Aragorn story, right? Uh, which is more significant? Is Boromir asking this question of Aragorn, or is it more significant that Aragorn is the one who answers it? Um, and I tend towards the latter of those two readings. I don't think... I think that Boromir is probably at least as much directing this to Gandalf. I don't think, I don't think I'm tempted to, I, I, I kind of like the idea of seeing this as, um, uh, you know, him kind of addressing Aragorn and coming back to Aragorn. Um, but I don't think it is. I think this seems a logical follow-up question to Gandalf. You interrogated him when you finished with the interrogation. What did you do then? Right. Um, that certainly seems to be, uh, uh, and especially since Mad Violence, of course, as you were just pointing out, uh, Gandalf was, was the one speaking, you know, that seems, um, uh, that seems more, uh, uh, more relevant there. Um, yeah, now, Irindus, that's a really good point. Irindus says whether he means to do this or not, Boromir's question is an excellently subtle way to learn about the character of these strangers. He, he does ask the question neutrally. To what doom did you put him? Right? Um, and Irindus, I, I would go so far as to say he lays, by talking about a doom, he lays some stress on it. Right? 
I don't mean to say that the word doom here should be taken in like a metaphysical sense, right? It's not a, this is not the metaphysical sense of the word doom. Uh, this just means judgment, right? Um, uh, in exactly the same way that uh, Frodo and Faramir will talk about the doom that Faramir is going to pass first on Gollum and then upon the said Frodo, right? Um, so he's refer- he's talking about the a judicial condemnation here. He's rather he's when he when he asks about it, he is contextualizing it as a uh, judicial proceeding, right? Um, which Arendis, I'm getting back to your comment here because. It's interesting. He's insisting that that's the way that it is, right? Um, whether you thought of it that way, did you give him a fair trial? You know, did you think to condemn him justly? Did you just kill him out of hand afterwards, um, out of expediency? Uh, did you let him go because you were done with him? What did you do? Like, um, so Irindus, I agree that ev- even in the sense of like, if they respond by, you know, if he says, to what doom did you put him? And they're like, oh, we didn't really, you know, we just kind of let him go. We didn't really think about it. Well, that tells him something, too. Right. Um, how seriously do they take their position? What what kind of people are they? Right. Not just did they, you know, deem a wise doom. Right. Did they uh, uh, did they pass a, 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 an admirable judgment? And Boromir would have some uh, he would have experience with this. Right. He would uh, care very much. Um, This is something that obviously his father takes seriously and uh, which he as the heir would have been trained uh, to uh, to do justice. Right. To 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 speak justice here. So, um, you know, did you take this? How seriously did you take this and what did you do? What doom in the end did you deem? What became of him? Um, Even the way Irindus, he re phrases his question, right? The first is very simple and neutral. What became of him? What happened? Right? But then he recasts that question almost as if uh, to sort of clarify or specify to what doom did you put him? What decision did you make? And so I agree, um, you know, Irindus, I think we can see in those two questions, right? The emphasis of the first question is just on Gollum, exclusively on Gollum. Where is he? What happened to him? What became of him? Where is he now? And the second one is about them. What did you do to him? Right. Um, And notice that uh, his initial comments, he is a small thing you say, this golem, small but great in mischief. Uh, He sounds a little bit like the, you know, the barrister for the prosecution here. Um, uh, you know, to what doom did you put him? I mean, I, I don't know. Is he leading the witness before that? You know, small but great in mischief. It sounds to me uh, that <laughs> Brunier says Pippin is also small but great in mischief. True, true, in a different way. Um, but um, I th- suspect from the f- sentence the one declarative sentence that he or well which is not even a sentence it's a fragment right small but great in mischief um it sounds like he's fishing for an execution 
right? That um, it would seem just to him, to Boromir, that Gollum should be slain after all of the mischief that he has done. Um, and uh, yeah, JJ says this could translate to how did you kill him? Uh, exactly. Um, so, Irindus, coming back to your point, again, he does shift the focus from Gollum to, from I'm just seeking information about Gollum to I'm seeking information about you. Um, but I'm wondering if what he's primarily asking is not like, are these people negligent and cruel, but like, are they, are, are you know, are, are these people cruel and horrible, but rather are they negligent and, um, um, and wimpy, right? Did you do the hard thing, right? Did you do what should have been done, um, which is to pass judgment on someone who has uh, committed such crimes as Gollum has, right? You didn't just let him go, did you? Um, uh, is one way, I think, perhaps, uh, to paraphrase Boromir's uh, point there. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what he's implying, but it seems to me there. Um, it seems to me that that's um, where he's leading. I love some of you are quoting uh, out of, uh, slightly out of context, of course, but Boromir's later words, uh, Tony, uh, we suffer so much fear and doubt over so small a thing, uh, mad violinist, uh, the fearless, the ruthless, these alone will gain victory. Yes, and of course, one cannot help but overlook the fact that this is Boromir. We know because we've read the book before, uh, that Boromir's going to have issues with the ring, right? And we also know that Boromir's, or sorry, that Bilbo's pity on Gollum, uh, when he had the opportunity to kill him, and all kinds of reasons to kill him, more reasons than Bilbo even would admit to himself at the time. Um, that is to say, in The Hobbit, when Bilbo says to himself, when Bilbo is in the midst of having pity on Gollum, and he says to himself, um, he had not, uh, uh, he had not, uh, 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 he had not hurt him or tried to yet. That's not true. He had tried to. He failed, but he tried to. Um, like Bilbo is being gentler in his uh, assessment of Gollum. There, he's being very generous in his assessment of Gollum, even to the point of. Uh, kind of glossing over some of the realities, I think, of that situation. Um, Gollum had absolutely come at him with murderous intent um, when he returned from his island. Um, anyway, point is, we see Bilbo being uh, not only pitiful, but merciful to Gollum there. And here we see... Bor so the fact that Boromir, very near to the beginning of his own different relationship, but still, in a sense, a relationship with the ring, uh, is indirectly, perhaps, calling for Gollum's head, seems to be... Um, uh, yeah, thank you, JJ. I was struggling. to. I didn't get the line right. Gollum had not actually threatened to kill him or tried to yet. And he's, of course, in fact, literally done both. He threatened... Definitely threatened to kill him, and also definitely tried to kill him. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah. So 
so that's interesting. That if we are right in hearing that uh, uh, Boromir, like if Boromir were in charge, you know, he would have had Gollum executed right after this. Um, is an interesting, uh, you know, Bilbo thinking of Bilbo and his relationship with the Ring and where Bilbo ended up in his relationship with the Ring and Boromir and his relationship with the Ring and where he ended up uh, with where he's going to end up with the Ring. Um, it's conspicuous. They're different attitudes. And I agree that, um, Tony, as you mentioned before, um, that um, Frodo's reaction in Bag End is right in the middle of this, right? Um, it's a pity that Bilbo didn't stab the vile creature when he had a chance, right? Um, yes, yes. Frodo has that impulse out of fear as he admits I'm sorry but I'm frightened he says right um yes yes um but um yeah yeah um so the main thing I would point out here Boromir's not wrong right he is not wrong um and in his words about Gollum he's perfectly justified even Gandalf, of course, in his famous rebuttal of Frodo's statement about it was a pity Bilbo didn't stab uh, Gollum when he had the chance, um, uh, about how it was pity that stayed his hand. Um, still, the um, in the context of that, even Gandalf himself admits, you know, uh, you know, Frodo says that he deserves death, um, and Gandalf agrees deserves death. I dare say he does. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's not wrong. Boromir's not wrong here. Um, but he does seem to want a stern doom to have been handed down to Gollum. Now, the last thing I want to say here is I want to kind of put together these two observations. First, we're looking at Boromir acting diplomatically, <clears throat> speaking into the very awkward silence, um, and in a quite tactful way. A way which is going to get the narrative moving again. It's designed to and succeeds in getting the narrative moving again, overcoming this moment which threatens to freeze everybody up with terror, right? Which was Gandalf's intent in some sense, but, you know, um, Boromir is being constructive here, definitely. Um, anyway, so the, the one observation is the tactfulness and uh, diplomacy of Boromir's interjection at all, right? And the second is the content of it. What position he takes, what he brings up, and what position he takes on it. Um, and so I, I'm, the last thing I want to do is to kind of connect those two. Um Well, hang on. Sorry, first I think what I want to do is comment on one of them a little bit more. Um, it's pretty bold of Boromir to do this, right? This is not only diplomatic, it's not only tactful, it's also very assertive, right? Boromir just showed up in the house today, 
right? And the house that he showed up in is the legendary Imladris, the home of Rivendell, or the, sorry, the home of Rivendell, the home of Elrond, the greatest of all lore masters, right? So he has been seeking for 110 days for this legend, literally legendary house, right? Which would primarily feature in Gondorian lore uh, from presumably the earlier uh, war um, with the, uh, the, the, you know, when Gondor went north to fight uh, the Witch King uh, in Angmar, they would have met Elrond and certainly you know, Glorfindel was there. So folks came out of Rivendell for that, for that battle. Um, so, I mean, it's tied to back to the, you know, so, like the great glories of the end of the, uh, of the rule of the Kings in Gondor. Right. I mean, it, anyway, there's all kinds of legendary associations. So he's found this home with this, this place which exists in centuries-old legends uh, among his people. And he's surrounded by all these elf lords, right, who've got to be pretty impressive, right? Um, and, and again, he's just, he's got to be, like, tired and everything, too. I mean, he just arrived in the dark before dawn, right? Um, anyway, point is, if there's anybody in this room who's an outsider and like potentially interloper or whatever, you'd think it'd be Boromir, right? Um, so there's an awkward silence. Everyone's thinking. It occurs to Boromir as he's sitting there. Somebody has to break this silence. And then he says to himself, it should be me, right? That tells us something about Boromir. For him to take it upon himself, not to let Gandalf continue, not to let Elrond return in, and, you know, take back control of his own meeting, right? Um, that's, um, that's not what he does, right? Instead, he does this himself. He uh, makes, he takes it upon himself uh, to move things along and to go back and do this. Uh, it's definitely... Um, tells us a lot about his self-confidence. Now, this is not inappropriate, right? I mean, he is... Yeah, <laughs> Emily, I agree with you that being meek and retiring is not one of Boromir's flaws. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, he has plenty of reason to be confident. He is used to commanding a room. He's used to commanding armies, for crying out loud, right? Um, you know, when you... Uh, you know, one does get in the habit of like having people listen to you and defer to you when you talk like that's that that's 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 real um, and not at all inappropriate for him in his normal context. Um, but again, it does really show us something about him. Right. It helps us to another. We might assume that he was like this. Right. But it shows us his. His courage. I would. I would not say that this is proud. This is arrogant. I wouldn't call this arrogant. Um, bold. I would say it's bold, and I would say it's courageous. Um, strikingly so on both counts. Many, you know, lesser men than Boromir would just be starstruck. You know, would be really intimidated by this gathering 
that they have been brought into, you know, here at the last minute here. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, now to the connection between the two of them. I guess it's just, it just, to me, it kind of underscores the, uh, it underscores two things. That is the fact that this awkward tension is being broken diplomatically and that it's being broken diplomatically by asking, essentially, after judgment to be passed, asking for judgment to be passed on Gollum, hoping that judgment was passed on Gollum. Um, the awkward silence. Everyone is imagining Sauron, right? Gandalf has just imagined, invited everybody to imagine Sauron. And thinking about Sauron brooding in his dark tower, we go right from, if we're somebody else in the council, right, who's not Boromir, we go right from imagining the threatening, uh, you know, figure of Sauron looking in your direction uh, to Boromir calling for, almost indirectly, calling for Gollum's head. Um, and so again, this brings me back to the, the, the significance, thinking back to Bilbo and Frodo and, the, you know, to... Uh, Bilbo's pity that was towards Gollum, Frodo's pity that's going to be towards Gollum. Um, it, to me, it sort of makes that more conspicuous, right? In this atmosphere of, you know, the attention and influence of the Dark Lord, thinking about Sauron and the Ring and Gollum, right? Uh, and it also, I think, clear, the, the, the fact that he goes here does clearly set up uh, Gandalf for saying what he's eventually going to be uh, going to be saying. Um, now, Draken Tarakni says, so Boromir is redirecting the counselors from an overwhelming evil they cannot overcome to a smaller evil that they can deal with, kind of. Yeah, actually, sure. I like that. Um, it, it, that's kind of an interesting way to paraphrase what Boromir is doing here, right? Okay, so um, baby steps, people. Baby steps, <laughs> right? Uh, Sauron is a little further down the agenda, but let's start with uh, Gollum. He's a small thing, right? So let's deal. Let's deal with the small things exactly. Gilgonther, he's looking for the quick wins. That's what he's looking for here. Absolutely, yeah. No, I like that. I like that. I think that's a really good way to think of it. And again, emphasizes this as a really diplomatic angle. Uh, for Boromir to take. Um, yes, yes. Uh, a, a, a deed within their measure. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Green Great Dragon says, an elvish deed within their measure. Of course, Aragorn's, you know, the, the, the narrator says, a manful deed uh, within their measure, referring to those who are unmanned by fear uh, as they're approaching the Black Gate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, well, let's get to Aragorn's response. He is in prison, but no worse, said Aragorn. The fact that he says, but no worse, suggests to me that he also is hearing Boromir's assumption, if not hope, that Gollum, in fact, was executed. He is in prison, but no worse, said Aragorn. He had suffered much. There is no doubt that he was tormented, and the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart. Still, I for one am glad that he is safely kept by the watchful elves of Mirkwood. His malice is great, and gives him a strength hardly to be believed in one so lean and withered. He could work much mischief still, if he were free. 
and I do not doubt that he was allowed to leave Mordor on some evil errand. Um, <clears throat> okay. Aragorn's response is really interesting. Oh, sorry. Pausing for one second. I almost forgot, and I'm forgetting. I didn't see who asked it, but I briefly saw a flash by a little bit earlier um, in the comments. Somebody was asking how early on was Tolkien's concept that Gollum was going to play a crucial role in destroying the ring um, in the in the manuscript history? And the answer is really early. In fact, Gollum Gollum's presence at the Crack of Doom is as early as the Crack of Doom. Um, as soon as he imagined Frodo and Sam taking the ring to the Cracks of Doom, which was pretty early on uh, in this plotline uh, contemplation, um, he imagined Gollum playing a role in that, and Gollum being the one who... I mean, how exactly that happened? I mean, like, there's one version when he finally gets there and he finally drafts the scene for the very first time. Um, in one of the early drafts, he has... Um, Oh, Brick Tales, that was you. Great. Um, uh, in uh, uh, in one version, he actually has Gollum take the ring from Frodo, and then Sam tackles him, and they and both of them, Sam and Gollum, tumble into the so that Sam self sacrifices his own life in order to uh, chuck Gollum in and take the ring with him. Um, that didn't last long. He did revise that, and he took that out and spared Sam's life fairly swiftly, but. But it's but it's there that 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 version existed. So there were a bunch of different permutations as to how the ring gets uh, into the fire, but that it got into the fire in Gollum's possession was right away. I don't think there's any um, uh, version. Yeah, exactly. JJ says that then he had the version where Sam one shots a Nazgul while delivering a snappy one liner. Yeah, also true. Uh, Sam got a lot of play in one way and another. Uh, the first uh, in the in the earlier versions. Um, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. No, Michael. I think we all agreed that uh, we were very strongly in approval of Tolkien's choice not to kill off Sam at the end. As, you know, excellent as its act of self, as appropriate as it would be. Like, Sam would totally do that, obviously, right? Uh, it's not that Sam wouldn't, but we're awful glad that he didn't. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so... Yeah, so anyway, sorry, I just wanted to respond to that. Anyway, the point is that, yes... Way I can't say at the very beginning because of course at the very beginning he hadn't even thought of the Ring of Power. But as soon as the let's take the Ring to the Fire plot took form, and as as far as we can tell, as soon as it took form, uh, he was already thinking of Gollum's role uh, there. Um, okay, um, so back to Aragorn here. He is in prison, but no worse. Said Aragorn, appearing to address. Uh, Boromir's implication or presumption that uh, they executed him or that they should have executed him. Look at his next two sentences. He had suffered much. He is in prison, but no worse. He had suffered much. Aragorn immediately responds to Boromir's call for justice, right? Um, in inquiry about justice, which is kind of small but great in mischief, kind of a, a, a demand for justice, um, responds to it explicitly with pity. 
he had suffered much. This is Aragorn, right, who is not a fan of Gollum, right, um, uh, and who, you know, suffered much at Gollum's hand and inflicted pain uh, on his part uh, in order to bring Gollum by force all the way up to Mirkwood uh, from the, um, the Dead Marshes. Has the bite marks to show it, belongs Bond, absolutely. Um, nothing more I got from him than the marks of his teeth, right? Um, and Aragorn immediately jumps in with, not, you are so right. Boy, like, this guy deserves death, and I was signing up to be the ex. It would have given me great satisfaction to finally kill this guy after painfully keeping him alive. And I mean painfully, right? Um, he immediately focuses on pity. He had suffered much. There is no doubt that he was tormented and that the fe- and the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart. Um, notice how that um, sentence sort of <clears throat> emphasizes things, right? Um, he had suffered much is just pure pity, right? Let us feel empathy for Gollum's situation. Um, uh, He had suffered... It's almost like Aragorn is saying, we don't need to execute him. We're like, like, you know, time served, man. Time served. Like, he... You want him to be punished? He's been punished, right? He has suffered a lot. Um, The two things that he says here, um, there is no doubt that he was tormented. Right. The guy had been tortured, he's saying. Right. That's what uh, tormented doesn't just mean I, we don't use the word torment to as a synonym for the word torture so much anymore. Um, we tend to use nowadays the word torment only in a. Uh, sort of psychological sense, right? Um, to be tormented by doubt or something like that, right? Uh, to be tormented by fear. Uh, I think it would be interesting to do... Um, yes, Emily, right. Like, we would say that like, bu- that bullies torment their victims, by which we mean they, you know, inflict upon them, like great psychological suffering is generally what we're referring to when we say that they're tormenting them. Um, Interesting. Somebody who has the e-text, look up the word torment, especially like with its endings, right? Like tormented and uh, um, uh, other, other, other versions of that word. Um, Because I think that the word torment tends to be used as a simple synonym for torture. Um, It refers to physical torture. Um, Torment in the dark was the danger I feared, yes. I would not see you go to death or to torment. Um, Both times, I think, clearly referring to physical torture. Um, 34 instances. Wow, that's more than I would have expected. Let's see. Um, 
Okay, the flies are tormenting them. Yeah, well, that's torturing as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he would have tormented you for trying to keep his ring if any greater torment were possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the uh, Arnil died in torment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Arnor, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, obviously... With the word, you can always use the word torment or the word torture. Um, sort of, you can extend it, sort of metaphorically, right? Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, no, exactly, praise. I, and, and I think maybe you're right, praise. I think perhaps uh, the Lord of the Rings was formative for you in this, because uh, I, I think it's unusual. I, I maybe I'm wrong, um, but. I am often reminded of this when I come across the word torment uh, in The Lord of the Rings, um, how often it is it appears to be used as a simple synonym. Uh, in fact, the word torture, um, the word torture is not used that often. How many times is the word torture used um, uh, in, uh, in The Lord of the Rings? Three times? Yeah. Exactly. He uses the word torment instead of the word torture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That sounds right to me. Um, he does use the word torture in The Hobbit. Where did... Let's see. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can think of... There are three times. Hang on. This is a fun game. When does Tolkien... Don't tell me. When does Tolkien use the word torture in The Lord of the Rings. Um, hmm. As if he remembered some old torture, right? Yes! Oh, nailed it! Yes! Uh, he rubbed his long hands, licking his fingers as if they pained him as if he remembered some old torture. Yes! Nice! Okay, that's one. That's one. Uh, okay, though this is a fun game to play, it's perhaps not a fun game to watch me play. <laughs> All right, anyway, I remembered one offhand. Um, but, um... Uh, you know, Sauron torturing and destroying the very hills. I probably wouldn't have come up with that one, but yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, cool. All right. Anyway, so yeah, that's, that, uh, he's, so he's not just using the word torment as a change of pace for torture. He's using it in the place of torture. Most of the time, torture is the change of pace word, uh, that he's using. Um, what, yeah, Mornowin, so that's what I'm wondering though. I agree with you that in modern usage, in common usage, torture, people generally ref use the word torture to refer to purely physical torture, whereas torment has a spiritual or, or emotional sense, too. That is generally, in fact, usually it's uh, almost exclusively about the spiritual or emotional um, uh, infliction of damage, right? What I'm saying is different here is that Tolkien is tending to use torment primarily, physically, sometimes uh, 
extending that uh, to encompass emotional uh, or spiritual torture as well. Um, but, um, ah, JJ, there's the third. He saw lights like gloating eyes and dark creeping shapes, and he heard noise as, of, as noises as of wild beasts or the dreadful cries of tortured things. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my guess is that torture prefer... Or torture. Um... Torment is preferred to torture. That Tolkien prefers torment to torture to torture in the Lord of the Rings. I bet it's an etymology thing. Um, somebody look up the etymology of torture. Isn't torture about twisting? Like that there's a like there's a specificity to it that I think is not there in torment. Um yeah, it's Latin for twist. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the word torture recalls a specific, like the word recalls a specific mechanism of torture, whereas the word torment is broader, sort of more generally appropriate. Somebody trifle? Yeah, was putting this. Uh, yeah. I guess they both come from the same root. Yeah, they both come from the same root. Yeah. <laughs> Evil Doctor Ken and I agree that um, uh, <laughs> line could be taken out of context, right? Tolkien prefers torment to torture. Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> But torment is the older word. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That, um, uh, <laughs> Exeter, uh, Exeter Kerrid says, uh, they, they share an etymology with the word twerking. Fun fact. True enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Anyway, um, the point the relevance to this sentence is that when he says there is no doubt that he was tormented, he is not just alluding to his psychological scars. He's not just saying he's been through a lot. Um, you know, he has PT. He's saying he was tortured. Like, they they physically tortured Gollum. They put him on a rack or something. Um, uh, they clearly did something to his hands, right? Um, uh, when he was in Mordor. And the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart. That second part is to me very interesting because it's almost, it's not quite, but it is almost, if, um, if Boromir sounds like the prosecuting attorney, uh, there in that first paragraph here, Aragorn sounds almost like the public defender, right? Um, he's not trying to get Gollum off the charges, uh, but it's like mitigating circumstances, Right. Is Gollum horrible? Yes. Um, is he great in mischief? Yeah, he is. Has he done horrible things? He's totally done horrible things. Does he bear responsibility for the choices that he's made? Yeah, no, he really does. But mitigating factor, 
the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart. And I'm not sure whether he's saying this in the sense of um, this like influences him, this is going to shape him, or whether he's saying he has been punished, you know? Like, uh, he, uh, we, don't, we don't have to put him to it. Sauron's already put him to a doom, right? Um, the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart. Um, uh, I don't think... Now, it's possible to, to, to read this as a reason why Aragorn is more worried about him, right? Like, this guy could really be trouble because the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart. Like, this could motivate him to do who knows what. It's possible to take it that way, but I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is the next word. Still, I for one am glad. Um, the word still indicates a, a shift in tack. Right. Um, and he, what he's transitioning to is still, I for one am glad that he is safely kept. Um, so despite the fact that I have pity for him, right, despite the fact that I acknowledge that he suffered a lot and the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart and this guy was tortured and I feel really bad about that. Nevertheless, I'm glad that he is safely kept. So I don't think that I, I, I think it's fairly clear that all three of those statements that he makes there. Uh, are focused on pity, not on alarm, right, uh, or concern about him. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Tony, I certainly agree. Gollum has seen Sauron in person. Um, yes, the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart. Green Great Dragon, yeah, this is like the spell of bottomless dread. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with that phrase, it is one of the coolest phrases that Tolkien cut out of his um, uh, mythology. The spell of bottomless dread uh, is sort of the psychic whammy that Saur that Morgoth, sorry, uh, used to lay upon elves uh, back in the First Age. So if you remember in the published Silmarillion, there survive references to the fact that um, some elves, either who escaped from Angband or who um, uh, were allowed to escape and said that they escaped but were actually released as spies, um, uh, that they, like, walked on uh, in Morgoth's will, right? And, like, dominated by Morgoth's will. Um, that's Those are the remnants in the published text of the more fully and much more awesomely named phenomenon uh, from earlier on called the Spell of Bottomless Dread. Um, I think you can, if you want to read more about the Spell of Bottomless Dread, I recommend the Book of Lost Tales version of The Fall of Gondolin, where I think it comes up at the beginning. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, the spell of bottomless dread uh, is, uh, is, uh, is, is pretty cool. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah, I do think that, uh, that that is something that is very like that. The, the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart still. Now, Irindus, that's a really good reading. Irindus says, uh, the reference to the fear of Sauron may indicate to Aragorn that whatever his crimes, uh, Gollum is at least not in league with Sauron, right? He is not, um, uh, he's not, uh, he, he doesn't owe allegiance to Sauron. He's not sworn allegiance to Sauron. Uh, he is still his own person, as you can tell, by his terror. Um, uh, possibly, possibly, yeah. Um, uh, Brandon, I like that, uh, that thought, that his hands, uh, Gollum's, the, the, Sauron chose to torture his hands because he had dared to wear the ring. Um, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, 
Yeah. Now, JJ, I agree that Sauron's servants do fear him in general. I think it, it, it you know, the fact that you're afraid of Sauron doesn't prove that you don't serve him. Uh, certainly that would be going too far. Um, but, um, but I can see Irindus's point that um, uh, it suggests that, again, he is not... He has not emerged with, and we know this to be, and we will see this to be true, right? That he still defies Sauron, uh, not only in his heart, but even in his actions, like shaking his bony fist in the direction of Mordor, right? Um, so uh, it's possible that that is what uh, Aragorn is sort of perceiving here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that Sauron supervised the torture personally um he's definitely seen he um he Gollum, has definitely seen uh sauron himself as we're pointing out he uh, uh he knows he's seen his dismembered the dismembered black hand right um yeah yeah um okay but then of course he segues to this the pain the moment of painful uh, irony, right? I am glad that he is kept safely by the watchful elves of Mirkwood. Let's let's uh, uh, let's pour some burning coals on Legolas's head here. His malice is great and gives him a strength hardly to believed in one so lean and withered. He could work much mischief still if he were free. Um, he's not blind to Gollum's potential, right? Gollum. Um, could still do a lot. He is, uh, uh, this is, it reminds me of Gandalf's words. You know, he is thin and tough. St- you know, certainly he is never faded. He is thin and tough still. Um, <laughs> Aureliana says, let's jinx it, Aragorn. Yeah, well, <laughs> JJ says, let's all give a round of applause for Legolas. As the Mirkwood Elves representative say, what brought you here anyway? <laughs> Legolas. <laughs> yeah, boy. No guilt there, Legolas. Um, and I do not doubt that he was allowed to leave Mordor on some evil errand. So yeah, boy, it would sure be bad if he got, lo- got loose, wouldn't it? Whew, yeah. Alas, alas, cried Legolas, and in his fair elvish face there was great distress. The tidings that I was sent to bring must now be told. They are not good, but only here have I learned how evil they may seem to this company. Smeagol, who is now called Gollum, has escaped. Um, awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ashnag says, I like to think that Bilbo and, Gal- and Glowin smirked at each other at the Watchful Elves of Mirkwood. Uh, yes, safely kept by the Watchful Elves of Mirkwood. I can totally see Glowin turning and winking at, at Bilbo uh, at that moment. That would be uh, uh, awesome. That would be awesome. Um, I would go so far as to say... Uh, I want to remember when we get here in film film uh, in about the year 2040, I would, to- I totally would want to uh, make that happen. Um, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, a lot, there's a lot that's interesting in Legolas's wordings here. First, 
Smeagol, who is now called Gollum, has escaped. His choice to refer to Gollum uh, by his proper name. Um, and the clarification, Smeagol, who is now called Gollum. Um, that one that you call Gollum, that one that you've been referring to as Gollum. Um, Gandalf didn't mention that, did he? Now, Gandalf learned it during his interrogation in Mirkwood. So there's, it wouldn't be hard for Legolas and the other elves to learn what his real name was. Um, there would probably have been someone else there when Gandalf was interrogating um, uh, Gollum, and I don't think he would necessarily have kept it secret. Um, but anyway, um, so... Oh, Michael, remind me to get back to that question. Um, that's a great question. Why does Legos wait until now is the question. Great question, and, and I have thoughts. But um, but hang on. They So they learned through Gandalf, as a, as a result of Gandalf's interrogation, that he was originally called Smeagol. And they have made the choice uh, to call him by his given name, not by this honestly, slightly mean-spirited nickname, right? He's called Gollum because he makes that swallowing sound in his throat. Like, that's not very kind, right? Um, it's evocative. It's not wholly inappropriate, but it's not kind, right? Um, so there is not only pity, but kindness in the, his choice to call the prisoner by his real name. There's a, there's a, a humanization Right of um, of 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 Gollum, right? Gollum is the name of a monster. Smeagol is the name of a person, and uh, uh, and they call him by his personal name, right? So, the pity that Gandalf has praised in Gollum, and that Gandalf and Aragorn have also shown to Gollum themselves in their own turn, um, uh, and which they have sort of entrusted to the elves. Uh, to keep him and not kill him, uh, and which Frodo will pick up on later, um, those things seem to have been, uh, that, that pity seems to have been thoroughly internalized um, and even increased, perhaps, to kindness. Not just pity, but kindness. Um, now, but only here have I learned how evil they may seem to this company. Yes. And this is my answer to the question. Um, uh, this is my answer to the question, Michael, of why does he wait until now to say this? He he says the tidings that I was sent to bring must now be told. So, Michael, your original question was why didn't he mention it earlier? Like people were doing reports from various places earlier on. Um, why didn't Legolas in the first section of the meeting say? Hi, uh, Legolas from Mirkwood here. Not much going on. Wanted to tell you that guy that we were supposed to be keeping. Yeah, he got away. Sorry about that. Um, I think two reasons. One, I'd, I'm not even sure that he would have reported it to the. I mean, does the council need to know? Right. This was like a favor they were doing for Gandalf, um, and they might not have understood the full significance of Gollum and why he should be kept. Right. Um, so I could easily imagine Legolas feeling like, well, you know, I'll tell Gandalf and maybe Elrond and maybe Aragorn, because, you know, he was there too, um, 
you know, that their prisoner got away. But like, does everybody need to know that? Like, I mean, here's here's one, you know, here's here's glowing being right. Like, um, so, you know, a messenger of Mordor has come and offered us gifts in exchange for this. And so there's this and as, as you know, more, you know, Sauron has issued an ultimatum, uh, you know, uh, to, you know, to die in the king under the mountain. That's what's happening in Erebor. And Legolas is like, so we had a prisoner get away. That's what's happening. in. I mean, it seems a little lame, right? It seems a little bit lame. So uh, I think that he might not even ever have been planning to say this. But the second thing, that the primary emphasis there, I think, only here have I learned how evil they may seem to this company, right? So I'd emphasize not only, I've only now just learned, figured out how bad the news is. Um, it didn't seem to me like a huge deal, it was unfortunate, but not a huge deal. Now I think it might be a huge deal, actually. But also that to this company, right? I think all of you will probably kind of need to know my news now. Um, his tidings, the tidings that I was sent to bring, doesn't necessarily mean to this council. He was meant to bring the tidings to Gandalf and Aragorn and, and maybe Elrond, right? Um not necessarily. I mean, nobody was planning on a council, right? A council hadn't been called. Um, so again, I don't think that we can read that first sentence as evidence that he was planning all along to make this report to the council. Um, but um, but the other element, only here have I learned how evil they may seem. Stop. Let's stop and think about that for a second. What does he mean by that? Not just... On the one hand, it's what Aragorn was just saying, right? Um, he could work much mischief still if he were free, right? Now that he, Legolas, knows the full story, which I cannot believe. And so I am sure that um, they heard somewhat, uh, that the elves heard somewhat of Gandalf's interrogation and that he told them some of it, right? Did Gandalf tell them about the Ring of Power? I'd be surprised if he did, right? They would have heard, even if they heard the whole testimony, they would have heard about how he had found this ring in the river, right? But did Gandalf say to Thranduil and to Legolas in Mirkwood, so this proves that that ring is Sauron's missing ring of power, right? I don't think he said that. Um, uh, I don't think, I don't think that he would have told them that. So, now that he knows the full story and the full con, now that he knows who Gollum really is in a sense, like what part he plays and has played in this whole thing, he now realizes it's a bigger deal. Um, but there's more than that. Remember the awkward silence we've just had a couple paragraphs ago before Boromir uh, diplomatically reintroduced this small topic, right? Um, Sauron may right now be... Uh, looking at us, thinking about us, right? Sauron may know that we have the ring. Um, and as Aragorn has just said, Gollum was allowed to leave Mordor on some evil errand. So here, uh, you know, he was probably off doing something. He was set a job by Sauron. And Sauron, so boy, but it's, you know, so now Legolas is saying, oh man, this, this is potentially a complete disaster. Right. It's not just, OK, he's lean and withered, but strong. OK, yeah, sure. He could still kill people. Right. But that's not the concern. Right. Um, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Tony says, especially Thranduil would be a bad person to share with. I agree. Thranduil has not exactly covered himself with glory in times past. Um, I wouldn't rush to trust Thranduil with this evidence. Um, we have seen him fall victim to dragon sickness, right? His invasion uh, of the, you know, the fact that he brought an army with him to the Lonely Mountain shows that he was not constructively oriented there, right? Um uh, he did hold off and say that long would he tarry ere he begin his war f- this war for gold, but he did bring an army, right? And didn't have to. Um, uh, now, again, in the end, it was good that he did, obviously. But anyway, whatever. Point is, um, <coughs> point is that I don't, I agree. I do not think that he would have, Gandalf would have uh, shown his entire hand to Thranduil there. Um, Okay, so now he sees the full picture and realizes that this could look like a complete disaster. Gollum has escaped, but there's more, right? Oh, so Sauron might be focused, Sauron himself might be focused on what we're doing. Yeah, so it's not just that he broke out, right? It's that he, there seemed to be a conspiracy to rescue him. So we have some, I come with evidence that, um, uh, I come with evidence that there is actual contemplation of this, like actual conspiracy on Gollum's behalf. Let's just, we probably won't have time for this whole slide, but we can at least start it. Escaped, cried Aragorn. That is ill news indeed. We shall all rue it bitterly, I fear. How came the folk of Thranduil to fail in their trust? Strong language from Aragorn. Aragorn is upset, right? Not only because, you know, the egg on his face about his comments on being thankful for the watchful... (laughs) I rescind my watchfulness comment. Um, But uh, this is strong language. That is ill news indeed. We shall all rue it bitterly, I fear. Um... What we will all rue it bitterly. How came the folk of Thranduil to fail in their trust? Ouch! To fail in their trust. You failed! You had one job, elves of Mirkwood! Um, yeah, exactly, Angris. I chased this little creep for a year. I dragged him one on one, right, without any assistance. I managed to hold on to him in the wilderness, right? And you, with him locked in your stronghold, couldn't keep him. Come on, people! How hard was that? Um. Yeah, yeah. Um. We shall all rue it bitterly. All. Right? Again, not just those who might end up being his victims, but like Aragorn already immediately is concerned, right, that um, uh, this is going to mean, uh, this is going to mean something bad for everybody, right? Um, the Wood Elves have doomed the world, says Sam. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> you fail. Good day, Sir Elf. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Tony, you are right to point out um, that Aragorn is rebuking 
them from an assumed place of authority. Um, uh, well, to, 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 to an extent. I wouldn't say rebuke exactly. Um, he's observing, right? Um, how came the folk of Thranduil to fail in their trust? That's a statement of, I mean, the fact that they failed in their trust is a statement of fact, right? He's not saying, how dare you? He's not saying, um, uh, he's not asserting authority. He's not claiming that they disobeyed or anything like that. Um, he's making us, he's observing that this is very bad news. He is stating the fact that he believes, well, what he believes the consequences will be, that they'll all rue it. Uh, and then he asks, how did it come to be that you failed in what you're doing? So, um, it's not, he's not exactly claiming authority over them, but, um, uh, but it is pretty straight talk on his part there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, not through lack of watchfulness, said Legolas, but perhaps through overkindliness. And we fear that the prisoner had aid from others, and that more is known of our doings than we could wish. We guarded this creature day and night, at Gandalf's bidding, much though we wearied of the task. But Gandalf bade us hope still for his cure, and we had not the heart to keep him ever in dungeons under the earth, where he would fall back into his old black thoughts. You were less tender to me, said Glowen with a flash in his eyes, as old memories were stirred of his imprisonment in the deep places of the Elven King's halls. Now come, said Gandalf, pray do not interrupt, my good Glowen. That was a regrettable misunderstanding long set right. If all the grievances that stand between elves and dwarves are to be brought up here, we may as well abandon this council. Um, okay. First, before we get to Glowen's reaction, and we may not get back to Glowen's reaction, um, I want to look, I want to focus on Legolas's description here. Um, <laughs> JJ says, I wonder if at the perhaps through overkindliness line, uh, Boromir started nodding in a I knew it kind of way. Right? See? See? There you go. Um, look what your mercy led to, Aragorn. Right? See, if you just decapitated him like you should have done, right? If you'd, uh, uh, if you'd had the guts to doom, uh, to deem a real doom, right? Uh, and, uh, get, you know, this is what happens. You know, you try to make exceptions, you try to show pity, and it comes back and bites you, right? Um, that, <laughs> that, uh, that, yeah, uh, I can easily imagine Boromir having that. Of course, we don't have any evidence about how Boromir is responding to this. But um, it is um, it is interesting. It is interesting. Freebird, free I think that that's the really important thing, right? Why Gandalf doesn't speak up. Aragorn speaks up about the pity for Gollum, right? What we learn indirectly through Legolas is that Gandalf was much more proactive about the pity thing, right? He not only had pity on Gollum himself, he tried to set the Wood Elves up to try to cure Gollum, 
right? He was trying to arrange for Gollum's... Um, I, cure is a little... is is, I mean, Gandalf uses the word cured of Gollum uh, in this kind of context, but... Um, a treatment, I think, perhaps is. It's not that he expects that the Wood Elves are going to miraculously make it happen, um, but he is. Uh, he's yeah, definitely rehabilitating, uh, focusing on the rehabilitation um, uh, of Gollum. Gandalf bade us hope still for his cure, and we had not the heart to keep him ever in dungeons under the earth, uh, to hope for his cure. Notice. Gan- not Gandalf bade us cure him, right? But to hope for his cure, to hope that he could be cured. So they are acting at Gandalf's request, acting consistently with rehabilitation. With they're trying to help him get better. They're not trying to punish him uh, for what he did. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. And Tony Gandalf had said something about cure to to Gandalf, or to Gandalf had said it to Frodo before. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, Frumius Bujum says, uh, "Does that mean they didn't have hope for the dwarves?" Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. they weren't hoping for their amendment. One could also say. shutting dwarves up in places deep under the earth. How much of a punishment is that? Right? Um, Let me ask this question in another way. If you were the Elven King and you had dwarf guests that were coming to stay with you and you wanted out of politeness and good hospitality uh, to give them rooms which would be best suited uh, to their comfort, what kind of rooms would you give them? Uh, balcony rooms on the top floor? Maybe not. I think, now again, I'm not saying that the Elven King in The Hobbit was trying to be an excellent host. Yes, he was just chucking them into a deep, dark dungeon. And Glowen certainly remembers it that way, Sam, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> but my point is, um, notice the, the, the more nuanced analysis that Legolas personally and the Wood Elves in general are doing here, right? Why didn't they want to keep them in dungeons under the earth? Because those are horrible? Uh, because we only treat people we really hate that way? <coughs> no. Because it's related to Gollum himself, right? Where he would fall back into his old black thoughts. Um, for Gollum, for Gollum to be locked in ever in dungeons under the earth would be like him being back under the mountains where he had the ring, right? Back in the lonely, horrible time when he was locked away without hope under the ground. Um, And they don't want him to fall back into those black thoughts. They're trying to change his environment because they are hoping still for his cure. So they change his environment. Um... (laughs) <laughs> JJ, I do agree. Lock, locking dwarves in the dark would just encourage their dark business. So true. So true. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Tyburn, if the you know, if the dwarven guest quarters happen to resemble a dungeon, this also is perfectly germane to the attitude of the wood elves towards the dwarves. So I think it it really it works both ways, really, doesn't it? Um yeah, and I agree, Dragon Tarachne, delving into dark places is what got Smeagol in his current state to begin with. Um, yes, looking for secrets, uh, always wanting to find the root of things. His thought and his eyes were downward, right? Remember, Gandalf get all, got all that from his, uh, uh, his interrogation among the Wood Elves. They, 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 they knew that, right? So they understand enough of what Gandalf has uncovered about Gollum's personal history in order not only to know his name, um, but also to begin to understand where he went wrong and how they might possibly help to encourage uh, his cure. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, I don't know. Asnag is asking, do we think that the Wood Elves were actually doing some kind of talk therapy uh, with him? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't see any evidence of that, that they're talking to him and trying to work through things with him. Um, We guarded this creature day and night, much though we wearied of the task. Sounds a lot more hands-off than that, right? Um, Now, if they were trying to talk to him day and night, that would make sense why they would weary of it, right? Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, um, but at the same time, I do have a hard time imagining that they never attempted to engage him in conversation. Um, the word weary, Gandalf uses that word of Gollum's conversation, um, Right? I had long and weary hours of it. Gollum's talk, that is, he says to Frodo, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so, why do they weary of the task of guarding him day and night? I think it's not just because they bore easily, um, but probably because there was talk involved uh, there. Um, that seems to me Likely. That seems to me likely. Um, it would be an interesting... When we get there in some film, it will be an interesting episode uh, to take an episode and depict Gollum among the Wood Elves. Um... Okay. I'm going to stop here because it's time for the field trip. We'll come back next time and talk about the uh, uh, exchange between Glowen and then Gandalf's intervention there. Um, uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about that next time and then transition to the rest of Legolas's report here. Um, so we'll we'll start there next time. Uh, but I want to... I'm trying to break my old habits of going really late. So... Um, and try to get everybody off on time. So uh, let's end here. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll be back again next week uh, for class again. Uh, looking forward to finishing uh, Legolas's, uh, uh contributions here and then get down to some foresight 
on Gandalf's part. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, thanks everybody for joining me. I'm going to say good night to the folks on uh, Twitter now, um, and we will uh, uh, we'll do our field trip. So feel free to join us at Twitch.tv/signumu. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Valori. How are you? you? Hear me okay? Yes. Awesome. Audio is good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, no, I'm doing, I'm doing good. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny we're getting into the the elves, the elves lamenting all the time. It got to the point where um, me and Rachel would make a joke about uh, you could play a drinking game by how many times an elf says "alas." Right. Right. Yes. So it's it's, it's still happening. Every time I hear "alas," I'm going take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rachel doesn't drink, so I have to pull double shifts. You know? <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. All right. All right. So um, we're going to head back to Angmar um, and uh, we'll see. So I think we'll. We can meet at Gath Fourth Near again and then ride over. Yeah, I liked all the, the funny speculation of Gandalf about to present Legolas with world's greatest, you know, prison warden award. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. So to thank the Wood Elves for their watchfulness, right, uh, you know, we... Um, we have a gift. <laughs> right, we all chipped in. Of a beautiful statue <laughs> and a $40 gift card. Absolutely. Huh, I'm He's having... just standing there going, oh, 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 oh dear. <laughs> then he just couldn't take it anymore just alas 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 yeah the guilt was just too much i can't have that gift card to the gap i don't deserve it all right so this week we're heading in using the yeah. secret tunnel if i can succeed in activating my stupid milestone there we go okay Ooh. Okay, this one thing I'm going to do here is, this might, okay, there we go. I'm going to, my mouse tracking is like super fast and I keep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, since I uh, reinstalled uh, um, the newer version of Locho, yeah, my mouse will occasionally just be super slow and then super fast and then super slow and then super fast. And I'm, I'm sure there's a reason for it. And I just can't yeah. figure it out. So I just go to settings. Okay. Well, there's still... Something is still not quite right with my game install, I think. Or I'm still having... Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, I'm still having my problems with... Uh, no. Uh, Right-clicking. But... It's fine. I can work around it. Nope. I have not figured out my right-clicking issue, JJ. Um, not at all. But I'm almost tempted, JJ, at this point, just to, like, uninstall Lotro and reinstall it. Just to, you know, try again. 
because I cannot see. It doesn't see. take as long on a new computer. It sure doesn't. No, I was actually <laughs> surprised at how quickly it happened. I, I remember... It's like, oh, I can, I can do stuff on here today. Yeah, I remember once on one machine I had, I was like, so many hours installing the game. Um, My husband tried to install it on a thumb drive connected to a computer without enough memory, and it took four days. Oh, man. But it didn't work, you know? It's like... Right. Right. Okay, cool. All right, let's head back up to... Sally Forth. The General Karndoom area. Secret tunnel through the mountains. Up yeah, let's take fighters. that. Let's take that keen shortcut that we discovered last time. Yeah, yeah. It's only slightly full of spiders. Exactly. Only slightly full of spiders. It's a big difference between all spi- mostly spiders and all spiders. <laughs> oh wait, this is actually through Bogberth Lair, right? believe so. It's, I think that's what flashed on the screen when we came in. Yes. Mm, yeah. I'm not sure I know the way through. This is not the shortcut I was thinking of. I was thinking of the Overland shortcut rather than actually cutting through the lair. Uh, well, but I think this is it here. It'll make it if we can find the way. I think this is it. Yeah. Well, it is a serious shortcut. It also goes past the warning statues, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, of course, you can't get to Gathforth here without going past them. Do we have to go up to the left or right? Up to the left? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I took a different fork and found out in the same way. Yeah, left up the hill here. Okay. The okay. other one is the scenic view, and we already seen that. But, oh. Oh, it was left. It was left? We were talking about it. Oh, no, it was right. We had... Hmm? It was, yeah, it was left instead of right. One of these. I'm so turned around. We, we went through it the other way, so it's a little harder to find it. Yeah, exactly. On the way back. Where, wait, where are we now? We are... I don't know if we found the mountain path. I don't think we did find the mountain path. I don't think this is the mountain path. I think it's still back in those spiders. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, we missed it. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay, because we can still from here... Wait, where are we? Can we can we ride up here? I think we're on... Is this the can lake? Get down there from here? Yeah, this is the, the spider tender's lake. Okay. Alright. Well, that's just how it goes sometimes. Sometimes secrets are uh, easier in one direction. Right. Let's see, now I thought I had my bearings here. I think it's back through. Oh, we want to head back? Okay. I, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm like feeling stubborn. <laughs> so I think if we go around that way, yeah, I think the Druid's Fire has found it there. Right? Oh, no, don't follow me. No? <laughs> It was somewhere... I think, no, that goes into a pit. It was still in the spiders, so maybe it's back in the spiders. kind of want to see if there's any sort of marks indicating there's a path this way. No, we got to go back through the spiders. No, yeah, I don't think we came in this way. Oh, well, all right, fine. Let's go over. Oh, let's go Let's go maybe. by road, then. 
Fine, let's go by the road. Rather than spending half our time wandering around in the wilderness trying to find the secret path. Ah, I found it! Oh, you found it? Yep. Wait, where? Okay. Arnthro found it? Nope, I found a hole. Hang on. I'm stuck. I found it for sure, Aziz. Okay, okay. Where, okay. where is it? 12.6 north, 28.8 west. Yeah, there you are, my lord. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just running at stuff. <laughs> Wait. It's the fact that there were spider webs and it kind of made it look like there wasn't a path there. Actually if was. you follow one of us, you could follow our dot. Wait, where? You almost have to run into the very back of the spider cave. Okay. Going into the spider cave. Mm-hmm. And then... It looks like a wall, but it's actually a really steep road. Which is why it's easy to go past it. Um, I feel like here? a breadcrumb of people. Yeah. It's a little black crack you have to go through. Uh-huh, yeah, right. Probably. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm trying to see if there's any sort of indicator. There we go. Gotcha. There is... Yeah, there is nothing to indicate there's something up here. This is definitely a oh, wow, yeah. back but door or a mistake. It would have taken me a while to find that. Right, and then yeah. even up here at the top, the webs look almost solid. So from the bottom, yeah, yeah, you really wouldn't think. It can only be found by people who already know where it is. Okay, there we go. Excellent. Yeah. I like how the cave was more well-lit than the outside. We stepped outside and it got darker. Oh, man, I was going to get the rare elite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to go back... Whoop, we're going to go back to the courtyard. Yeah, a lot of... the evil poison gas here. fountain. Yeah. The weather machine. Right. Okay. All right. Here we were. Is this the biggest of these metal spiky fish hook? installations that we have found. Um, I think it might to, be. To date, I don't know. I, I, once again, I kind of, I don't, I think the one at um, Anuminous was a, as big as like a three-story house. It's like one of these towers. Because here's or what I'm wondering. About this big. Here's what I'm wondering. Okay. I'm wondering if This statue, which I do really like the theory that this is the source of the evil sky, right? That it's it's not merely pollution, right? The little blue, green, purple sparks that are flying up and down, uh, to me, you know, suggests that there is, you know, there is will and power going out here. This is not just like we're releasing a bunch of smog into the atmosphere kind of situation, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Which, but, but which also goes with uh, Tolkien's theory of evil defiling good. Right, exactly. With things like pollution. Mm-hmm. So, like he he mentioned that he was inspired by Mordor by the big you know dark satanic mills belching smoke into the sky. Right. Exactly. So here's what I'm wondering: Does this are we here seeing like the central nexus of this power? Right. Um, and in other places where we see these, like so, and because we've noticed this, this is a this is a a landscape feature that we've several times noticed, not just recurring, but recurring in the same way. Having a an older place or a place which looked like a residential village or something like that, and yet they've like put up this brand new spiky thing in the middle of it, right? Yep. Uh, it's uh, it seems to be. Um, sort of, you know, at the least it would seem to be like a banner, right? Like, you know, to indicate, Mm -hmm. you know, like planting a flag for the new Angmar, right? That's like the most neutral possible significance of it. That's the best case scenario. (laughs) That's the best case scenario, exactly. And I'm wondering if there's actually a metaphysical function for it. Like it's feeding off the energy of the people around it? Or establishing some kind of link with, okay, this is the central sort of nexus of the particular it's a spell. radio for speaking to God. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking maybe. Um, I do like the point, so JJ was saying that he's always a little disturbed by the fact that the, the sort of the lack of symmetry here, that you've got four spikes around the base and three spikes in the middle, right? It's not symmetrical. Um, yeah, yeah. There's that number seven poking up again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's um, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it might be to placate the, the residents, Amethorn. I think that that's, that that's true. But again, I'm well, wondering like if there's some kind of if it's some kind of, I don't know what, some kind of channel. I mean, this appears to be channeling power in some way. This seems to be some kind of focus, right, for this power. As I don't, th- again, I don't think that this has a merely physical explanation. I don't think that this is just some kind of noxious green substance which is emitting a, a foul smoke into the True, air. I don't know. The way the cultists around it are acting, some of it, you know, and the, the places we've seen this and the sort of, you know, totems and ugly imagery everyone's put up, I wonder if it's like cargo cult, though. Like, if they're putting up something here because it represents the olden times, but they're not quite sure what that's going to bring or something. Right. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe. I mean, because, see, one of the things that makes me think about this, too, apart from the fact that this, again, I like that theory that this is sort of the source of the power that we see blighting the sky in Angmar. But look at where we were going next, where we haven't gone yet, which is this gate up here, right? So this gate has the kind of sim- the kind of symbolism that, yeah. frankly, I would expect. Right? Yeah, it's pretty clear. Yeah. You've got the, you know, metal spiky stuff. It's made out of the same substance, it seems. Um, giant, but giant it's not... iron crown. <laughs> right, but it's not abstract. Exactly. This is the iron yeah. crown. Um, you know, the Iron Crown, writ large, made intimidating, right? Made, you know, we've got like this, those like bladed heads and everything to it to indicate, you know, like this is, you know, the, um, 
the the iron crown is a you know a weapon that will like stab you and run you through and that will like reach out to it's a it's a, it's a long weapon it's like a spear right this hat um, means business exactly this hat absolutely means business um so there's all the, I mean again so th- this works in all of those kind of political ways symbolic and political ways that you would expect looking at this I wouldn't expect that this has some kind of arcane function you know the gate I mean yeah, um, no, it's a practical function, quite. Yeah, practical, a practical and symbolic. Oh, look, see, it's called the Gate of Shadows. How about that? Look, it's got Gate a Gate of Shadows. Yeah. So, yeah, no no abstract <laughs> ideas there at all. Right. Oh, and there was Sam. We've got the eye. I couldn't even see the eye from oh, yeah, where we were. Oh, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't rendered. Yeah. So now we've got the eye. And we've got the, what looks like... Double doors. Yeah, it's very gates of hell looking. It is, though it's also. Hmm. The texturing is really interesting. Yeah. First of all, these, the sort of pillars, on the right and left, the ones with the what look like the almost brown and yellow stripes there. Mm-hmm. Um. Those are the structure of that is exactly the same as these guys down here, the ones around the corner to the left and right of us, these columns over um, here. Okay, not exactly the same. I'm remembering something else. Similar, though. Yeah, that's a little grimier. This is much grimier. And greener. Huh. Must be another column that I'm remembering. Oh. Was it one we would have passed through on the other way? No, I don't think so. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. That's not as close as I thought. Hmm. Okay. Why does the eye have horns? Mimicry of the tower, something. I don't know. <laughs> eyebrows. I don't think they're eyebrows. Um, be like plankton with the eyebrows. <laughs> plankton. Yeah, I don't know why it. Oh, I can't unsee it. <laughs> Jeez. I don't know why it has horns. Um. It almost looks like a scepter, like the whole, like the columns in front of the door with the eye and the horns look like. Yes. Yeah, I know that is interesting, especially if I'm kind of off to the side a little bit. Maybe stand a little more squarely to the middle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like every time we see the Tower of Sauron, though, there's always the two spires with the red eye in between them. I think it's mimicking that. Perhaps? Okay, hang on. That's the only thing Jesus I Jesus says the whole... The eye is in forms a larger eye. Oh, yes. yeah, look at that. Okay, so 
we've got the larger eye with the vertical line, right, to suggest the pupil slit. Yeah. It's also functional, too. It's the it's one of the posts. Yeah, it's, it's also probably load-bearing, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that seems important. Um, no point having your perfectly good symbol collapse on you. Uh-huh. Um, it is interesting, though, with the extra bits. It almost looks like a, like a goat eye or an octopus eye or something. We consider a rather otherworldly yeah. human eyes. Now I feel like going back and looking at more depictions of the eye to see if more of them have something like those horns up above. Wow, okay, I, I looked it up. Octopi totally have little horned pupils. No way. I, they do. They're weird. almost like a little smile inside the eyes. This don't look so smiley, though. It's... Okay. It does make... It's a little crown-like Belong's Bond. Like, uh -huh. like the eye, you know, wearing a crown. Yeah. But it's not, not as crown-like as the crown, though. No, it's not. The crown is not curvy. It's vertical. Um... And always with the five points. Hmm. What's that texturing? I'm trying to figure out what that is exactly. The variety of texturing is what I find so interesting. You've it's got... Like... It's almost like little plant life mosaics or something in there. Yeah, down here on the doors panels themselves mm -hmm. you've got what look almost like leaves or vines not quite but almost yeah and then you've got up like in those open spaces to the left and right of the eye mm -hmm. it's very Byzantine up there right and then you've got the the cr on the crown itself, the kind of almost um, tessellated sort of crackle metal looking. bits. Yeah. It's beautiful, and it's not like a style we've seen with the dwarf and elven. Yeah, now, JJ, you're right. Morgoth's crown had the three points, not the five. Um, and of course, got the one of them cut off uh, but it's hard to imagine anyone of Sauron's servants wanting to commemorate that fact yeah what I can tell Sauron's kind of happy the old boy's gone <laughs> yeah it's you know much more scope you know yeah under new the boss management. is gone party time yeah. Time to make some rings and trick some elves. What are those little shield-like shapes in the gaps in the crown? 
They almost look like light fixtures. <laughs> shining, yeah, like shining green spotlights upward. Little phosphorescent lights. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. I think they're little tiny braziers. Yeah, that's the mechanism lighting. for the green light. That's why the light the yes, that's why the crown looks green. I bet it's full of that liquid that's run off into the side and makes the towers glow bright neon green. Yes. Yeah, the whole area is bathed with that, but that seems to be the origin of it. Maybe it's the same liquid it's in the pit out there with the fish hook. Well, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. It's the same green, definitely. Yeah. Another cargool. Let's see, this one is the screeching cargool. Yeah, he's like, it's just described by his... By his What's sound. He, has, he literally has nothing else to offer. Yeah. Wow, oh. screeching is almost—it's it's, almost—it's it's not even like a—it's like a—it's not even like a powerful title. Screeching just sounds like he's kind of annoying, and they're right. happy to be rid of him. Oh, it's the screeching cargo again. Oh. It's interesting though that there's a mechanism. I don't remember seeing that. Like we've seen eerie green light glowing on places before, but I've never—I've uh, never more ethereal. Yeah, I've never actually seen. Like the spotlights that were throwing it before? It's limelight. Get it? Right. <laughs> it is limelight. Okay. All right. Well, Sorry. let's see if we can go through. Yeah, okay. What time is it? Well, it's getting late, but that's okay. Let's see if we can go through. Huh? I don't think I can open that door, but I can go through if it is opened, right? Yeah, yeah. I think if someone else opens the door, you can go through, but you have to be someone with a key. Great. Now that works out. He's not chasing oh. me, is he? No, he's just running away. Yeah, no, he yeah, he's kiting back. Yeah. To wherever he was standing before. Oh, there's oh, gonna okay. be so many goodies in here. I'm so happy we can come in. <laughs> okay, so we have more of the rusty arches. Lots of industrial plated footing. Yeah. This, this whole ramp's made of... Made. Yeah. I think it's textured so wheels can go up it. Right, So, because if it were just smooth, it would be too hard to gain it would just, purchase. Yeah, it'd be like the... the be like pushing a shopping trolley off the hill of ice. Right. And what's over here? Another secret passage! Another secret yeah. passage... Oh, it's like the troll. Oh, it's it's the locker room. Yeah, it is the locker room. There we go. Okay, so that's just the troll locker room. That's easy enough. Yep. Not much to see there. So we keep going up. Now, where are we? We're headed... Okay, this is the main path up to Karn Doom from yep. the outskirts. So we're getting close to Karn Doom proper. So I'm going to be interested to see architectural change. Remember, we were theorizing that this gray stone with the rusty metal was new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, and here's another... Oh, oh, the braziers are different here, too. The fire, the orange fire, yeah. Yeah, sort of smokestack-looking braziers. Yeah. Right, we've got another cult guy. Another replica shadow gate. It's just called the Iron Gate. After that, it's just another door. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. And there's a milestone up here. There's a milestone up here. Hang milestone! Alright. I am going to I'm gonna milestone. Yeah. <laughs> um I think I'm gonna replace my Gath Fourth near one. Okay. Well that's risky. But better than buying another one just now. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bind that. Because so after we're, we're done up in this corner, we're done in Angmar, so I won't need Gathforth near anymore. Well, this corner goes on for quite a bit. Yeah, it does. So, right, but my point is, we, I won't need to go back to Gathforth near after this. Ooh, okay. New patterns. Ooh. Okay. So, wow, there's a lot here. Yeah, there's a lot. Maybe we should wait. Yeah, we should wait till next week. We will start okay. again here next week. Now that we've come up to the milestone, that is an excellent place to stop. Because it will give us so an excellent place to start next time. Yeah, this is what All I right. was remembering. I was remembering. Isn't there a bridge, like a long bridge? Mm, there's a couple of Across them, I believe. Across a gulf? Yeah, right there. That's uh, what I'm remembering. Yeah, yeah, you can see a lot of bridges from so here. So much so to many look bridges. at. Okay. All right. We're just going to stop right there. <laughs> okay because so much to look at. Okay, but I don't want to get started. All right, cool. So we are up here now in, on, in the outskirts of Karn Doom proper, getting ready to do our examination and to try to fi continue to figure out as many as we, as much as we can of the, the, the sort of historical and archaeological details uh, of Angmar as they have conceived it here in the game. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. For joining us Thank again you. for our field trip, uh, this was uh, this was fun. Exactly, Sam. We're not going to go a bridge too far tonight. Uh, we're going to stop <laughs> before the bridge. Um, awesome. So we'll resume here next week, straight here uh, with the uh, with the milestone. So that'll be efficient. Cool. Thanks, everybody, and Bye, we'll see you guys next week. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.